on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, it's one of Europe's great gateways, Frankfurt, we take in the city essentials. For safari fans, we hit the Kalahari, and scholars, we're off to Cambridge in the UK. Then we go and chase the sun to San Diego, California. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard, Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. It's a fresh edition. I'm Mike Yardley. <laughs> Spectacular to be with you, Andrew. And you too, back from Europe. You look somewhat jet-lagged, like you've been pulled through a bramble bush backwards. Thank but that's you so okay. much. I'm looking older, but I think I'm feeling wiser, Andrew. Very good, very good. I feel good. wiser about the world. I feel good about the world. This is nice. I feel reassured about the world. Have you been on an Anthony Robbins course or something? (laughs) Yes. I I stopped over for a bit of Anthony and a bit of Amway, (laughs) as you do. Uh, But no, I do feel a wee bit punch drunk. It has to be said, no matter how many times you fly around the world, it doesn't get any faster. No. It doesn't get any easier. Nope. The trips don't get any shorter. They're not getting much cheaper at the moment either. No, well, that's true. Mm -hmm. But it's the price we have to pay. It is indeed. Now, what's the sort of COVID thing in Europe at the moment? How's it stacking up? Well, I thought it was actually very liberating because uh, even though there are very big crowds in some of the big tourist cities, Mm. it actually felt a real sense of freedom to be back amongst the maddening crowd enjoying life and all the wonderful sights of Europe. We are social beings. We need that sort of the thing. Yes, yes, yes. There's only so much Zoom you can do of Europe, isn't there, Uh, before you really want to get that sort of tactile experience with all the treasures. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, you visited Milan? Yes, I love Milan. The crowds in Milan were insane. So they've got this magnificent central square, Piazza del Duomo, Mm-hmm. And there would have been thousands and thousands of people just ambling about in that square taking photos of the Duomo, the cathedral. It was just incredible. It was like I'd sort of teleported myself back to 2019. Almost like COVID never happened. Yeah. All right, no doubt we'll talk about Italy in future episodes, but let's kick off with a frolic in Frankfurt, if you please. Uh, is it a gateway or a destination? What is it? It's a good question mm. uh, because it is at the heart of Western Europe. It's Germany's financial centre. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've got lots of quick and easy connections using the wonderful railway network all across Europe from Frankfurt. Mm. Uh, But before making tracks, I do think this European gateway city actually does deserve to be treated like a destination. Have a wee leisurely exploratory with Frankfurt while you shake off the jet lag. Indeed. Now, you mentioned the financial sort of centre of the of yeah. Europe, mm. which it is, and the glitzy skyscrapers, the locals will tell you Frankfurt is Europe's answer to Manhattan, right? It's quite cool how they say this because yeah. the reason for it is Frankfurt is strung along the Mine River. So the locals call Frankfurt Minehattan. Oh, right. Okay, might be a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Manhattan. <laughs> Manhattan. <laughs> so they were the biggest lot of skyscrapers in continental Europe. Yes. If you don't say continental, the Londoners get very upset because, of course, London has more skyscrapers than anywhere else in wider Europe. Of course. So, you know, it is a technical point, that. And, of but, course, when you go to Berlin, they put a bit of a height cap on their buildings a do. long time ago. Yes, that's very true. But alongside all of that modern glass and steel in Frankfurt, it is absolutely the medieval buildings that are really the stars of the show. 
And the, the amazing thing, Andrew, is that most of the medieval architecture was bombed to bits mm. and rebuilt absolutely after World War II. So the attention to detail is astonishing to the point where I couldn't really tell whether I was looking at a reproduction or the medieval original. Well, the reconstruction of Frankfurt's Old Town District only finished, what, five years ago? A 70-year-long rebuild post-war, just a bit longer than the Queen Mother's redo of her holiday home. Yes. And probably almost similar to what the Christchurch reboot re- <laughs> rebuild is going to be. <laughs> oh, my so, goodness. Um, Romerberg, yeah. huge crowd pleaser. Yeah, very much your classic Old Town Square. This is where the cameras get clicking. It is just swathed in medieval half-timbered buildings. There is one particular building with a perv inside. It's the old Imperial Hall, Kaiser Hall, um, famed for its triple gabled roof. It is now Frankfurt's City Hall. But this is where, back in the day, the coronation banquets were held for over 50 kings during the Holy Roman Empire. So it is a absolute specimen uh, in old-time Frankfurt. Okay, and since the 15th century, it's been Frankfurt's town hall, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, now, you being such a hardcore Christmas tragic, which we've touched on before. Less than 80 days to go. <sighs> Anyway, uh, you would have loved Romerberg because it stages one of Europe's biggest Christmas markets as they have since 1393, way back when. Now, <laughs> Isn't that sensational? I know. 1393. And I'm sure you were chafing at the bit to get uh-huh. in there and get some little Christmas decorations or perhaps another little choir boy statue for your front window. <laughs> when does this kick into life? Last week of November. I might have to go back, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Less than 80 days to go to Christmas, folks. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I think the Kiwi tri- uh, Tripsters audience would actually love a dedicated feature chat on our podcast in a few weeks' time about Europe's Christmas markets. You can bring a wee rug and a pillow, perhaps. I think I'm away that weekend. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we'll do it in a few weeks' time. (sighs) Now, close to the square, the Dom, uh, the city's most important church, which miraculously avoided being blown up in the war. Yes, this is one of the true survivors and one of the few of them. Uh, The Dom, officially known as St Bartholomew's Cathedral, it's this heaving pink sandstone gothic behemoth and it is where those 52 roly uh, ho- <laughs> holy roman or roly homan empress where could you go with that we won't go anywhere <laughs> but they were crowned right in yeah. this church the dom before going off to have the very nice lunch at the kaiser hall oh. um but it's a place decorated with all the trappings of royalty, lots of exquisite stone and glasswork. Admission is free. It is a must-see. Now, further afield, the ornate Frankfurt Opera House is one of your favourite landmarks. Yes. Uh, laid to waste in World War II. This yes. one was basically flattened. Knocked over. And yep. it was uh, referred to as Germany's most beautiful ruin for decades mm. until it was finally restored in the 1980s. Yes. Um, every bit as gorgeous as some of those other famous European opera houses. Think Vienna or or Paris. Um, Sydney. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> and poised just alongside Frankfurt Opera House, the Sofitel 
uh, Frankfurt Opera. A splendid roost to rest up and recharge into um, the city. I flew from New Zealand via Singapore to Frankfurt, right? So mm. after 31 hours. That's a, I was going to say that's a fair hike. I was shagged. And this was <laughs> this was such a great place. Oh, no wonder you were tired. Yes. I, I, it was just such a wonderful hotel to recharge in. As it is a Sofitel, it's very much French-style hospitality, five-star luxe. It doesn't necessarily have to cost you the earth, which I thought was quite an interesting surprise. But yeah, you're in the um, new old town district, as they call it in Frankfurt, right next to that opera house. Now, this is Goethe territory. Yes. Oh, my God. The locals revere Goethe more than they revere their local sausage. Well, the Vost. The Vost. The Vost. Goethe is Frankfurt's most famous son. Yes. Born in the 1700s, pretty much Germany's answer to William Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, and not far from the Romerberg, you can actually visit his family home, this big Baroque mansion, which is now the Goethe Museum. They like their museums. They do. Mm-hmm. Stuffed with memorabilia. <laughs> he once wrote, Offer plenty and you will surely please some. That is Andrew Seppi's motto for life. <laughs> On a good day. Yeah. Now, what signature tastes did you stake out? Were there some sausages in here? Yes. Or? Yes. Yes, a lot of worst. Yes. A whole lot of worst. <laughs> go to Munich and have your worst experience. <laughs> um, go, go to Munich and um, munch your way through worst. Yeah. Is that what they call it, munching? Yeah, it must be. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay, but Frankfurt. <laughs> yes. Uh, they do have a lot of good sausage in Frankfurt. Uh, they also have an unusual specialty that they call Frankfurt green sauce. Uh-huh. An acquired taste. Yes. It's sort of served like a cold soup <laughs> with hard-boiled eggs and boiled potatoes. And this sounds just fantastic, doesn't it? Oh, the sauce is made from seven different kinds of herbs, so maybe they were talking to Colonel Sanders. Well, I thought he had 11 herbs. <laughs> yeah, he had a few more. Did he only tell them seven? <laughs> it sounds hideous. It is an acquired taste. But if you um, stomach that, why not give yourself a wee reward with a slice or three of Frankfurt crown cake. Frankfurt crown cake. Now, we've talked about some interesting origins to little treats like those mm, Lamingtons. We have. Of Australia. Debated origins. Yes. The Frankfurt crown cake was created by an unknown master baker 300 years ago. Yes. But it's this, like, butter cream cake shaped like a crown. Which is what they called it, a crown cake. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's got golden brittle placed around the outside mm. and jewel-like cherries as decoration. I do like how the Germans eat cake for breakfast. Yeah. I do approve of that. They also eat a lot of cold meats and cheeses for yes. breakfast. Yes, very European. They do have a yes. very, very nice breakfast selection. Yes, and all generally little slices of cucumber as well to mm-hmm. have with your cheese and your cold meat. Indeed. Yeah. Now, where are the best apple wine bars? The Sachsenhausen district across the Mine River from the Romerberg. Which is not to be confused with the Sachsenhausen concentration camp just oh, out of Berlin. Yes, exactly. Careful how you pronounce these things. It is spelt exactly the same way. Mm, mm. I know. Yes. Anyway, uh, don't let that be a party downer because that is where you will find the party is at, in the mm. Apple Wine District of Frankfurt. The best traditional apple wine bars are here. There's like this labyrinth of laneways that um, lace around the district, 
Very cool to stroll through. It's been the city's most popular beverage, mm. apple wine, for nearly three centuries. Their apple wine... Is, is it as sweet as no. our version of apple cider? No. Why? Well, I suspect it's to do with that alcohol content. Um, it's usually around 5% with the traditional apple wine in uh, Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, it's like a, a, a kicked-up apple juice, than a than a fresh pressed cider. It's not as sweet. Uh, there is a tartar sourer taste than what you know we would find if we bought off the shelf an apple cider from the supermarket. Now I love Germany, as you know, but mm. there's lots of quirky things in Germany. Frankfurt. What was your quirky find? Oh, quirky find of the day. Yeah, the Pinkelbaum. Which is Frankfurt's peeing tree. Hold on, what? <laughs> <laughs> Take an old maple tree, mm-hmm. install an artwork in it. Yes. Essentially a hose. Yes. And this thing reeks of nature's revenge. It is an artwork. Yes. And a plaque near the tree, mm-hmm. uh, translated from German, says, For 300 years, I have been pissed on. <laughs> Starting today, I piss back. <laughs> as, <laughs> so as you walk towards this unsuspecting old maple tree, Yes, it looks totally innocuous. Of course. You don't know that it's got a bit of a revenge sort of complex. Well, there's probably no sign up saying beware the pissing tree. No. But go on. But once you get close, the passerby is given a bit of a hosing. (laughs) So most people who have no idea about this, after they've recovered from their surprise, are actually enchanted by it. So it's in this little lake, Jacobi Veja is the name of the lake. Um, and the pea stream, or the pea tree, only takes a break in the winter because they worked out if they keep it on over sort of, you know, December, January, um, it gets frost damage. Well, you wouldn't want to be hit with the little ice bullets, no, would you? No, All right, time for a uh, quick nature call. Uh, just ahead, we go where the wild things are in the Kalahari. You're back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. We looked at safaris a couple of weeks ago in Kruger, and which is a fantastic place for first-timers. Now we go to the top end of South Africa and the wild Kalahari. Oh, yes. In Ooh. the region they call the Northern Cape. Oh, yes. Uh, you're butting up against Botswana. Mm-hmm. Brilliantly remote, very unpeopled. In summer, high summer, the temperatures can hit 50 degrees Celsius. Ah. So it's a formidable sort of place. Yes. (laughs) And the topography is quite diverse. I flew in and there is this craggy mountain range called the Karenabergs. I love that name, Karenaberg Mountains. It's very Um, cool. Very cool. So they sort of rise up from this blood red desert. You've got lush valley forests and then sweeping savannah grasslands. Now, this is home to South Africa's largest private game reserve, right? That is correct. So I spent a few nights at Tualu, which has been formed from 48 farms. 48? Yeah, it's a mega reserve. Um, The size of a small nation, Tualu is. In fact, I worked out, Andrew, you could fit (laughs) four Belgiums into Tualu. So to drive from one end of it to the other at 100k an hour, I worked out would take you five hours. That's incredible. Yeah. It's owned by a very wealthy mining family, the Oppenheimers, mm-hmm. and they have invested megabucks into conserving and boosting 
Africa's endangered species, Etwalu. Very much a case of giving back. Now, no hunting is allowed here on the reserve, so it's absolutely purely conservation, which is just great. The safari drives, which are more focused on sort of intimate encounters with single species, yeah, you might see some animals as well, uh, rather than a drive-by with the sort of passing zoo field, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, they like to focus on a particular species. So on uh, one of the safaris, for example, my guide said, how about we go looking for those Kalahari lions, those black-maned Kalahari lions, uh, and they are just so regal and stately and they sort of strut with an extra sense of self-importance. So, yeah, we just spent all afternoon watching the lions. Although when one of them decided to rather rashly mate a resting lioness, I have to say the strains of Elton John's Can You Feel the Love Tonight was not exactly the mood music that came to mind. (laughs) (laughs) It was more like Jailhouse Rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm sure the lioness could feel that love tonight. (sighs) Yeah, okay. On another safari, we... um, just spend a few hours watching cheetah communing with each other. Very, very sociable animals and a bit like cats, domesticated New Zealand cats. They'll sort of lick each other and give each other a bit of a clean. Funny, actually, cheetahs seem, when they're not running, they almost seem like they're going in slow motion. Yeah. And they're just sort of laid back. Yeah. I then spent another afternoon becoming quite acquainted with South Africa's various species of antelope. So, like... Mm. There's antelope and there's gazelle. Then they've got the springbok and the steenbok and the reedbuck and the kudu. And I actually fell in love with the kudu. Not in a creepy sort of way, in a David Attenborough sort of way. Oh, yes. (laughs) The kudu, they're just so graceful. The male horn. We're Uh, not going to get a complaint from a kudu in 10 years' time. I hope not. Yeah, anyway. But the male horns, they are just like... Statement art. They're just so sculptural. Oh, yeah. I bet they are. Yeah. Now, Africa's wild dogs, oh. the painted wolves, there's only about, what, 450 of these dogs left in South Africa, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think this was probably my highlight. Yeah. Uh, admiring a pack of these African wild dogs hunting at close range is one of the sort of signature experiences you can have at Twalu. So on my safari, as twilight approached, They awoke, a pack of these painted wolves or wild dogs, they awoke from their slumber and they have this enormous pre-hunt ritual where they kiss each other and then they have like this mass sing-along to psych each other up. It was so compelling and bewildering to watch. What were they singing? Ole, 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 ole. I think it was a Hakuna Matata. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, They'd been watching Lion King. Anyway, um, then they fan out across the terrain like a well-drilled battalion scanning the horizon for prospective prey. And then they just spend hours surgically closing in on their target. It was just National Geographic unplugged. The not heard of Uber Eats. Uh, it is. <laughs> You've missed your calling, really. Yes, I know. I was feeling David. I was channeling David Attenborough. You were. That's quite something, I Michael. I was so enchanted as I watched the painted walls. 450 of these left. Oh, 449 now. <laughs> I was also rather enchanted. Yes as I'm sure David Attenborough has been, by a colony of meerkats. All I can think of when I hear meerkats is those original telecom commercials. Yes. It's stuck in my mind forever. Oh, my goodness. You're so right. Yeah. They are booming 
in Tualu. So there is no endangered species problem with the meerkats in Tualu. They're everywhere. They're like rats. <laughs> and I never realised meerkats are such prodigious diggers. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I think we could use them on some of our state highways. We could get Just them to, to help with the Christchurch rebuild. Well, that's it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we've got a big stadium to build. How many do we need? I think we could get, what, 30 or 40? <laughs> Twilu wouldn't miss them. They're everywhere. They've bred like rabbits. Um, oh, uh, talking of uh, big populations, yes. Twilu is home to the world's largest population of black rhino. Yes. Which is even more endangered than the white rhino. That's right. You've been... Following David Attenborough. I have indeed. So this is, no, I won't do any more, David. <laughs> no, don't. This is a critical conservation program at Twilo to try and revive the stakes of the black rhino. We tracked a black rhino and her calf, which was the most majestic sight. Super, super scared of humans. You can tell that, you know, the rhinos have been talking to each other saying, just don't trust those two-legged weirdos. Um <laughs> The black rhino numbers are growing in Twilu Reserve, which is another triumph. But it's just a relentless task to try and keep the bad buggers away. I mean, because it's such a massive reserve for yeah. Belgiums. How do you control that? Yeah, how do you patrol it? So they're doing heroic work. Um, they're also safeguarding other threatened species like the pangolin and the aardvark. The pangolin is so cold. Oh. Aren't they? Aardvarks are a little funny looking, but they're still cool. Well, they look a bit special. Getting up to 50 degrees yes. on some warmer days. It's a bit of a turn off, isn't it? Well, I mean, for some people, sure. But if you come from New Zealand out of, you know, seven or eight degrees, mm. it might sort of just about kill you. Mm. When's the best time to go? Our cooler months is the best guide. So they have a rainy season and ferocious heat which is when it hits 50. So that will be from about November through until early March, mid-March. Yeah. I would suggest if you want to go to the Kalahari, north end of South Africa, April to October is best. Um, some people go in our midwinter, June, July. It can actually get bone-chillingly cold there, you know, sort of desert cold yes. in the Kalahari. So, yeah, try to go for the shoulder seasons, April, May, September, October. Oh, right. Stay with us. We're off to Cambridge in the UK, and then we go and chase some sun in San Diego back in the Mo. You're back with Kiwi Trips. This is Mike and Andrew. Let us head to the UK, the United Kingdom, and a short hop from London is the university town of Cambridge. Like Oxford, this most English of cities is anchored by its sprawling scholarly mecca, the university, which is actually the second oldest university in the English-speaking world. And, of course, there's a story to that. There is Professor Seppi. Thank you. So it was founded by a group of Oxford scholars who had a bit of a tiff with the local townsfolk. Bit they, of a tiff. Bit, bit of, a, of a tiff. Oh, yes. Now, they couldn't see eye to eye, so they upped sticks and established the rival university at Cambridge. With an alumni roster second to none, getting a taste of these hallowed halls uh, is just fabulous. You are walking in the footsteps of Charles Darwin and Isaac Newton, uh, and architecturally, Cambridge is an Orgy for the eyeballs. Indeed it is. What are some of the highlights for you, Michael? Well, I really enjoyed cruising around the cobbled lanes and you'll see students on bikes just suddenly disappearing behind ancient oak doors and medieval gates. It's very Harry Potter-esque, I thought. <laughs> and it's all part of the city's sense of mystery. 
People go gaga. <laughs> Students disappear behind yeah. doors. Another lost student. <laughs> <laughs> the magic oak door has struck again. But yeah, it is that sort of place. Um, people go gaga over the sublime architecture of the likes of King's College and King's College Chapel, which is the Cambridge poster child. I really like Trinity College. Mm. Now, this was founded by Henry VIII, and its central square, the Great Court, of course, many people will think, I've seen that, and they will have seen it in... Dun, 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 dun. I think they need another clue. Jerry and Sophia. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jerry and Sophia. That's where it was shot. And it was Christopher Wren who added the library at Trinity College, which looks very much like a Harry Potter movie set. Yeah. All sorts of relics on show, like Wren's walking stick and, I find this a little weird, a lock of his hair, mm. as you do. Uh, now, what other little quirky sites did you look at? Well, in a city not short on curious scientific contraptions, mm. a case in point is the Queen's College Moondial. Now, this is 300 years old. It's painted on the side of a building, and it's designed to read the shadow cast by the light of the moon. Okay, so it's like a sundial for the moon. Yeah. Yeah, I like But if you want the moondial to help you tell the time, you then have to apply four mathematical calculations. <laughs> God, they must have had a really boring day <laughs> by thinking, the t- what are we going to do today in Cambridge? By the time you've worked out the time, it's morning. Mm. Yeah. Needless to say, mm. the Amundial contraption hasn't really taken off elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but there's heaps of curios in Cambridge like that, uh, and there are lots of really cool walking tours, guided walking tours, which will encompass a lot of them. Now, for those who have visited Christchurch and thought... I'd like to go for a punt on the Avon. Mm. This is where it started. Cambridge is the home of punting. Indeed, Andrew. A very gentle Edwardian pursuit. Um, It actually began on the Thames, but the love affair has never ebbed in Cambridge. So, Did you know there are more punts on the River Cam today than anywhere else in the world? That's it, yeah. So the Brits... If you say punting to them, they'll think Cambridge. Yep. Um, Scudamore's Punting Company is the oldest operator in Cambridge. They're largely crewed by very preppy undergraduates looking to earn some coin, uh, but they'll happily share heaps of their own insights, (laughs) warts and all, of real Cambridge life. That would be rather fascinating. And those magic oak doors. <laughs> Indeed. Now, lots of museums around here. Which one's worth looking at? I would put the Polar Museum at the top of the list. Um, it will resonate with Kiwis because it extensively focuses on the ill-fated expedition of Captain Scott. Mm. Uh, you can read the heart-tugging last letters written by Scott's team to loved ones. That'd be cheerful. Mm. And among the exhibits is Captain Oates' sleeping bag. And that again odd, slit wide open so he could manoeuvre his frostbitten feet. Another famous figure whose legacy abounds all over town is Charles Darwin. Oh yes, follow the Darwin Trail in Cambridge from his time at King's College to the various collections of rocks and plants he gathered on uh, those groundbreaking expeditions aboard HMS Beagle. And did you check out the Eagle? Oh, the Eagle. I love this old-time hangout. It, um, it's the sort of place that mixes frothy ales with scientific tales. I've been working on that one all day. Um, <laughs> it's like we're on an episode of Blackadder here. But... <laughs> now, this pub, the Eagle, it's 700 years old, and it's actually owned by Corpus Christi College. Ah. So, very much the favoured local. 
uh, for scientific scholars. And it was here in the Eagle in 1953 that James Watson and Francis, Francis Crick, Crick announced something to the world. What do you think that may have been? Deoxyribonucleic acid DNA. There you go. Thank you. So that was The announced. double helix, actually. Yes. Was, yes. Yes. In fact, there was a third person, a female, who was on that team oh. and never recognised, because you can't oh. find it. It's ne- She was never recognised. Was she in the pub? Apparently so. Okay. Now, <clears throat> a country that's home to Benny Hill, what about Britain's best buns? Yes, well, <laughs> if you are a fan of the Chelsea buns, <laughs> take tea and buns at Fitzbillies. Oh. Now, this Cambridge institution has produced its famed sticky Chelsea buns on site for 85 years. You know how in New Zealand we often will have best pies? Oh, yes. And all of these bakeries and pie shops around New Zealand will enter to try and win New Zealand's Best Pie Award. Oh, yeah, get some lavender mince with... Rosemary and goat meat. Lemon jube and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So they do the same sort of thing in Britain with their buns. Oh, how lovely. Fitzbillies in Cambridge have been regularly crowned as the producer of Britain's best Chelsea buns. So, nice buns. Nothing like a sweet and sticky bun. Yes. Don't disappear. We're off to sunny San Diego. Back in a moment. You're back with Kiwi Trips. There's Mike and Andrew finally on this edition. Let us hit the streets of San Diego and the waterfront has had a massive makeover. It's been a heroic transformation, really. So if you haven't been in San Diego for a while, you're in for a big surprise. (laughs) It's the new and shiny part of town, the waterfront district. Edgy statement architecture, all very pedestrian-centric. The promenades are abuzz with hoverboards and e-scooters, of course. Hoverboards, like in Back to the Future. Well, sort of. Okay. Yeah, a domesticated variety. Okay. Yeah, but they're very popular in in San Diego. It's very California, isn't it, hoverboards? very much, yes. The starring attraction at the waterfront for years has been the USS Midway, Next door is the Maritime Museum and a very potent piece of New Zealand immigration history. Yes, tied up at the wharf, the Star of India. Tens of thousands of our ancestors journeyed to New Zealand on this here ship. It is the oldest active iron sailing ship in the world. Yeah, and it's in mint condition. So if you want to see a slice of Kiwi history... That's where to go, at the no. waterfront in San Diego. Absolutely. Now, what's tops at Balboa Park? These are very much the gilded lungs of the city, groaning with 17 or is it our, maybe 18 museums. Balboa could keep you occupied for weeks. But my picks would be the Timken Museum. That's where you can ogle all sorts of old masters, your Rubens and your Rembrandts and so forth. I adore the Alcazar Garden. It's like stepping into Seville. And the San Diego Model Railroad Museum is a gobstopper with all of these scaled-down replicas of California's railway lines, towns, and landscapes. The attention to detail is unbelievable. Now, if you want to see decent rail, the United States can really, really do it. They do rail. Yeah, they do. (laughs) The hottest new attraction in Balboa Park is the brand-new mecca for pop culture, the Comic-Con Museum. Now, Comic-Con in the last, what, decade or so has just become absolutely fantastic. In yeah. fact, recently, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd yep. appeared at Comic-Con. They did. As a bit of a 37 years after the whatever it was, Back to the Future. Yes. They, the, 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 all the stars go to Comic-Con. Mm. 
Michael J. Fox looked really affected by that, didn't he? He did yeah, 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 he did. So yeah, this is actually the 18th museum that has just opened at Balboa Park Comic-Con. Um, it was founded in San Diego 50 years ago. So it is very apt <clears throat> that the characters of comics and film and TV have now got their own shrine at Balboa Park. Indeed. Now, eats and drinks, where do you want to head? Cafe Coyote would be my tip. You'll find this in the Old Town, which was the first Spanish settlement in California. And even though Old Town is a bit of a tourist trap, it's worth battling the crowds to get to Cafe Coyote. This is the sort of place where you've got old mummers selling handmade tortillas outside on the road side of the cafe for a dollar. And inside is just one of two restaurants in the US that has certified tequila ambassadors. Now, a tequila ambassador is sort of like the equivalent of a highly regarded sommelier. How very cool. And San Diego sells more tequila than anywhere else in the world. Cafe Coyote's tequila menu, what, spans a hundred varieties now? Yeah. You may want to pitch a tent, maybe stay there a week, walk walk your way through the menu. Um, <laughs> Stagger your yeah. way through the menu? Yeah. The yeah. food is so good. I tell you what, you've got to water up at Cafe Coyote's Fajitas Fiesta. Now, this is fresh bell peppers, mushrooms and onions sautéed with your choice of chicken, beef, veggies or shrimp that all comes sizzling to you and your table, and you wash it down uh, with a frosty grande margarita. Mm, frosty. Mm. Oh. oh. Right, now beyond the city centre, tell us about the northern jewel, La Jolla. La Jolla, yes. <laughs> San Diego is awash in <laughs> fabulous Spanish names and knockout beaches, beautiful people, lots of hoverboards, as I mentioned. Mm. But the northern seaside satellite town of La Jolla that again for me, Andrew. La Jolla. La Jolla is hard to beat. <laughs> the village is perched on a bluff lapped by the Pacific. It feels Mediterranean. It is outrageously scenic, overrun with wildlife. You'll find sea lions and pelicans <laughs> picking all over the place. Um, it really is a very cool place. Oh, indeed. I, and so that's really a place that you would get right into, isn't yes, it, Michael? Yes, Yeah, and it's on the Pacific Flyway, oh, so yes. all manner of migrating birds lay over here, and you and your bird sort of, you know, fetish, discerning birds, any tasty bits of note, you know? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't be eating the local birds because they're very nice to watch, but I would head to the promiscuous fork. The what, where? The promiscuous fork. Please, Sound for please, me, Andrew? The promiscuous fork. Please explain this. This is in La Jolla. The promiscuous fork. Now, what you want to wrap your lips around are the lamb lollipops. The lamb lollipops. I can still taste them. These are are Cajun dusted lamb cutlets, right? Mm. So you hold on to the the bone and... (laughs) How does that go? They're grilled and topped with balsamic reduction. Man, they're good. It's the Cajun that does it. Uh-huh. You need a bit of Cajun on your lamb. Oh, you do need a bit of Cajun. <laughs> In La Jolla. In La Jolla, yeah. Where, where is it again? La Jolla, at, at the promiscuous fork. Thank you. Did you hit the trails through the Torrey Pines? Yes, I loved this. So edging north from La, La Jolla, Jolla. Mm-hmm. Torrey Pines Reserve, it overlooks the coast, and it's studded with these very unusual crooked pine trees. They're sort of reminiscent of a very large bonsai at your grandmother's place. 
So this is the... <laughs> <laughs> Not that my grandmother had bonsais. Right, okay. Mr Miyagi had bonsais, but this anyway. This yes. Reminiscent of that. Yes. This is the only place on the American mainland where these pine trees grow, Torrey Pines. And the hiking trails on the cliff's uh, edge, they're just superb. By the way, yes. there's also a very famous golf course. I know this one. Which is why you may recognise the name Torrey Pines. Yes. Uh, it's where Tiger won the US Open. Yes. And Torrey Pines Golf Course actually inspired Julian Robertson to develop Kauri Cliffs Golf Course in New Zealand. How swell. Yes. Right. In that- La- uh, close to La Hoya. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Be sure to like our Facebook page and you can see all our show notes on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. The articles on the topics we have chatted about from David Attenborough to La Hoya, like Frankfurt, the Kalahari, San Diego, Cambridge, they're all available at fortheloveoftravel.nz. That is fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And lots of choices there. There indeed. We're available everywhere. We are indeed. Open all ours. Yes. Feel free to be direct, rough, rather upfront and abrasive if you wish with your feedback. But like the lions in the Kalahari. <laughs> Can you... F- no. Not so much love tonight. Right. We yes. hope to catch you next time for a nice, fresh episode. And how many days to Christmas is it, Andrew? Oh, shush. Do you want to say La Hoya again? Less than 80. Good. And that's the same case in La Hoya. All right. Take care. We're going. Bye. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.